There we go. Normal talking. There we go. Woo-hoo. Um, I've decided that I have an ultimatum for the show, Dan, which is I'm, I'm not doing another episode until we get Ammon Bundy on the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's my ultimatum. We're okay. talking militias this week, Dan. If we don't get goddamn Ammon Bundy. Uh-huh. You know... Who else could we talk to? Who else could no. we talk to? I mean, yeah, kind There's of, no actually. Um, I'd forgotten about that kind of, like... What was that movie that Viggo Mortensen was in? And it was about, like, the kids and the living in the woods and one of them's, like, oh, a Captain trot. Fantastic. Captain Fantastic. I'd forgotten about the kind of, like, libertarian, like, Noam Chomsky reader archetype because now it gets so just, like, boogaloo boys or what you think of when you think of libertarians. But it's like, man, I forgot about Eamon Bundy. Forgot about the Bundys. That was insane. Uh-huh. But, you know, so was Ruby Ridge. So was all that. Yeah, so, I, I don't know anything about the Bundys. Um, so... This is not going to lead into a particularly interesting dialogue between the two of us. Um, I presume uh, Viggo Mortensen's character in Captain Fantastic is not based upon Eamon Bundy. I would imagine no. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. But you are drawing an I- ideological parallel. There's an ideological Venn diagram in which the two overlap somewhat. Perhaps. Maybe it's just also that, like... I don't know. You hear the libertarians squatting on federal land types, quoting Noam Chomsky every now and then, and you're kind of just like, what's going on here? What is going on? I mean, it's kind of obvious what's going on there, but also, like, yeah, it's very odd. I don't know. Exceedingly odd, one might say. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the reason why Bundy's come up just for the listener is, <laughs> I think, presumably because uh, a piece that we read supplementary to this week's episode um, referenced his support for <laughs> BLM against the police. Uh. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a uh, just a sort of touchstone point to um, illuminate the state of the world in which we live, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very odd. Very, very odd. I remember when that whole shootout happened and like, well, I get, yeah, the bold guy who was part of that family or something, he got out of his car <laughs> and then he got shot and it was like, the cops just killed this guy for nothing. It's like, well, he pulled a gun on the cops, but, you know. Obviously not supporting the cops, not supporting really either of them here. But I just remember that being extremely odd. Yeah. And much like everything that is like front of your mind when you follow current events. Yeah. Five minutes later, you forget about it. And so when they mentioned our man, Eamon Bundy, yeah. what? I was just like, wow, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, white libertarian shocked that police shoot it, I suppose. <laughs> all yeah. that the police shoot people, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. All of the above. Weird stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, we're back. We are back. We're and back. it feels good. Yeah. It does I feel mean, good. Except yeah. for the fact that I can't really remember how we do this. <laughs> but I, then I have to remind myself that that's how I feel when we start every one of these episodes. Yeah, so well, to put myself at ease. Yeah, exactly. This is what it feels like. <laughs> uh, but it's been a long time. It has been a long time. Um, a lot's happened, but none of it really feel like really talking about on the show. Yeah. So <laughs> just no listener, a lot's happened. Yeah. Uh, it, has, it has been um, a welcome break. Yes. And uh, yeah. Yeah, there's been stuff we've been getting on with it. Yeah, yeah, life's been getting on with. Um, <laughs> life's been getting on with us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, still in a bit of a hellscape in terms of the world, but I don't know. It's kind of what else is yeah. new? Yeah, exactly. What else is new? I don't know. Um, it's not too much to really, I think, uh, fill the listeners in on. Quite frankly, no. I, uh, you and I discussed what we were going to talk about on the show last night. Um, last night being Wednesday night, <laughs> the show's <laughs> coming out tomorrow morning. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully in theory. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, we went off on some tangents. I think this one's going to be a bit different. I think it's going to be a little bit different in terms of like the thing that we ostensibly read, it kind of goes in a bunch of different directions and it's a little nuts and it's not like the like orthodox Marxology stuff or whatever. It's, uh. Written by some, perhaps, anarchists. Um, some probable anarchists. Some probable anarchists, some suspicious types. Um, Noam Chomsky does get quoted. Um, but I think it's high time, Dan, we talk about what we touched on a little bit with our Mike McNair, which is um, what is community self-defense? What's going to replace uh, cops? Does anything need to replace cops? Um, that idea of universal conscription that we came up uh, against when we read the McNair that I think I've been kind of trying to grapple with what it actually that means. Um, and guns, what the hell do socialists think about guns? We're back on that again and, uh, all sorts of stuff, you know, 
talk about that little rat bastard Kyle Rittenhouse as well. We'll talk about all sorts of things. But um, I think maybe, unless you want to say something, I think maybe we start with the Panthers. I think it's an excellent starting point. Yeah. Yeah. I also think, yes, listener, be prepared. This is going to be one of those episodes (laughs) where um, we work out what we want to say as the words come out of our mouths. It's a joint exercise for Jack and I working out what we think <laughs> yeah when we're doing it yeah um we've ostensibly read some things but i wouldn't claim to have read anything in its entirety it's definitely ad hoc yeah. uh but in the best possible way and i think it's going to be a good one i'm excited yeah i uh full disclosure i'm not sure what i really think about a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. um so as you say this will be an exercise for both of us it'll be an exercise of me trying to figure out you know what the fuck i think about i, a sp- lot of this I suppose stuff. it's worth saying it's kind of been something that's been going around Mm. Uh, our minds and in dialogue and conversations we've been having for quite a long time mm. since before this podcast even started. <laughs> yeah, we were um, friends prior to we this were. podcast <laughs> <laughs> And we continue to be friends. Mm. Yeah, the question, I mean, I always phrase this question in terms of like, if one looks to uh, various socialist and communist um, manifestos or programs, there is usually something regards replacing the police and the army with some kind of popular militia um probably some kind of reference to um instituting some kind of right to bear arms um which has always seemed and read as very alien in the early part of the 21st century when if one is looking at political manifestos from the beginning of the 20th century um but i think i think i think i've come i'm coming around to the idea that we need to have a serious conversation about these topics Mm. obviously they are um, sort of current and salient as well particularly it sort of depends in what from which part of the world one is from um and i suppose also which part of the left one comes from yeah um what one's good reaction is to the idea of um, the cops, the they're idea back. of the cops. My God, they heard us talking about it. That was quick. Yeah, how one feels about the question of gun ownership, gun mm. rights, um, whether they need to be curtailed or protected. Mm. Um, yeah, and also what that me- yeah exactly what that means for a socialist society. You know, it's all well and good to say abolish the police and stuff, but as I think we'll get into. Um, Kind of what then? And perhaps that's a reason why that slogan hasn't really been working or whatever. But I think to start this out, um, abolish the police, what would come after? Maybe we should look at some people who did try to uh, remove police from their communities and who succeeded for a time. Um, of course, we're talking about the Panthers here. So the Black Panthers, I mean, I don't know. We read a short, exceedingly short essay on the Black Panthers from the book setting sites by a uh, academic from Georgia State, I think, named Akinyele Emoja, and he basically is just kind of putting together like a short, concise history of the Panther Party and about its split, or supposed split, into um, reformist and revolutionary agendas um, or factions. Um, But I think it's worth... I think the reason I'm kind of interested in talking about them is because, like, they started out, right, in Oakland as kind of just like a way to watch the cops, right? And, you know, people would get together and they'd all have weapons as a way of challenging the cops against police brutality and a way of saying, you know, don't come into our neighborhoods if you're just going to come and just, like, kick the shit out of people and steal stuff um, and, you know, take your oppressive apparatuses and uh, sit on it. Maybe that's what they said. But, you know, it's worth saying that, like, the virtue of that kind of attitude, I think, I don't know, that kind of organizing vibes very well with what we read in the Mike McNair about like community organizing and about organizing the entire class. Because it's like, if we want to discuss what's going to like come after the bourgeois state or like what we can do in our everyday lives to like start to build autonomy, um, there are worse models to build from than what the Panthers did in Oakland and um, in many cities around America. And I mean, while it was perhaps not a... Uh, model that can be easily uh, what's the word easily uh, imitated replicated even Um, 
in all communities, it's, yeah, it's definitely worth looking at because it's like for a while they succeeded in getting rid of like an entire arm of the state from their communities and building autonomy. So, um, yeah, it's really fascinating just looking at that, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of framing it. There's the kind of like very specific um, contexts and the very specific tactics that were chosen in that very particular moment by mm. a particular group of activists. And then the more broadly theoretical concepts behind it that, as you correctly say, um, are quite analogous to things we were reading about with Mike McNair and others around um, building uh, working class or other minority groups' um, capacities to uh, organize themselves, protect themselves, and in the long run, prepare and build the foundations for what might be the alternate culture and society mm. Um, that might be developed in a revolutionary and post-revolutionary period. Mm. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. The um, I thought the 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 con the case of the Black Panthers and one of the reasons why we can hang a lot around that particular piece, I think, is that it speaks to a lot of it brings up a lot of questions and a lot of problems come up. Mm. Um, I think the author of that piece has taken one particular. Um, stance and is deliberately trying to draw a degree of continuity through this entire period of the existence of Black Panthers from its foundation in 66 to its abolition in 82 and, and through that period of the early 70s split which was largely around these kind of questions of like um, underground revolutionary even insurrectionary activities and above board more quote-unquote like reformist politics is mm. the way that um, it's framed in this piece um, but as you say, in its beginning, well, in its beginnings, particularly with the Black Panthers, it was just like, we have this right to open carry. Um, there is no reason why we oughtn't exercise that right. And in some instances, like, follow the police on their patrols to just yeah keep an eye. <laughs> or just say, like, hey, we're here. Hey, we're here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what what's... What comes up in so many of the pieces in this book um, is this idea that in the American context, as soon as you um, challenge um, either the police or other like right wing or um, predominantly white militia groups, um, there is a degree of impotence in them that is revealed. As soon yeah. as you are willing to quote unquote <laughs> like meet fire with fire, like um in a lot of instances um they will back down or at least in this period in the early 60s and in multiple other occasions um that are documented in the book like um that is the ultimate result kind of thing yeah and it's funny too because it's like that that speaks to like the difference in like i'm talking in left wing um uh, vein here like it speaks to the difference between like building a militia because you want to go out there and build the workers movement and have it be militant and you know it's kind of like a little bit like role playing and like actually doing this for like concrete reasons right because it's like yeah okay we'd all like to see a like well-armed like uh you know workers militia whatever that would look like but at the same time like the point like the panther's point wasn't necessarily in oakland in those early years to like make a protracted people's war. Like, eventually, that would kind of go on to be what some factions were about, but it was mainly just about, like, helping the community. And it's funny, like, we've said this on the show before, like, when you help your community, it's funny how that, like, you know, lessens your... It, how that furthers the class struggle and how it develops it in, like, a more mature way and how it, like, lessens your requirements to, like, maybe lean on the cops, although it's not like anyone in those neighborhoods was, like, really leaning on the cops. But the Panthers, when they were able to, like get rid of the gang that is the cops in their neighborhood, they were able to basically, you know, allow for an organizational structure within their neighborhoods that people were comfortable calling and that they could, you know, say like, hey, you know, I have this problem. Um, and so it's funny, like in the weekly work articles that we read, I think the focus, especially on the second one, which is called, I think this, no, that's the first one. <laughs> the second one, which is Our Gun Rights too. Um, by a person, Paul DeMarty. The focus is kind of like 
well, how can we replace the cops? And it's like, how can we fulfill the, com- the, the functions that cops provide society now? And it's kind of like, I don't know, I think that the Panthers in those early years show that that's not necessarily the question that you need to ask, right? The question is like, how can you build almost like parallel structures that you could maybe see as replacing the cops, but that isn't the question. It's like, how can you build these structures that build something new, you know? And that almost gets to the question of like the universal conscription, because it's like universal conscription sounds scary if you're just like going to do the army but socialist, or if you're going to do the cops, but socialist. But it's like, if you're doing something different, which is like what the Panthers were doing in those early years, like, it's not suddenly not so scary. Because it's like you've built a new organizational structure that isn't just going to come around and like do the things that cops do and then eventually just become cops, right? Like, communist cops are still cops, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera. So like, yeah, I don't know. It's it the, the example of the early... Oakland-based Panthers in the mid to late 60s is, is, like, really exciting, I think. And I think, like, the Panthers can kind of get written off, but, like, man, they did it there for a while. Like, they, they like, I don't know. There's some real momentum there. It's awesome. Yeah, the real sort of, like, uh, driving force behind this idea of um, replacing the police or replacing the army with um, a more broad-based democratic popular movement militia organization um it's entirely that it's not to like replace like for like but Mm. rather to um fulfill some of the same functions and also fulfill new and different and diverse functions and um to sort of like parcel out functions that lie purely with the police now to different places kind of thing to like um but the, the 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 intention is to um put it under popular and democratic control mm. and so uh, you're, you're right to say like it can seem daunting particularly in that weekly worker article i was i wasn't taken aback exactly but i was mm. like this is a very different type of language to the language used in setting sites and it's probably yeah. like um a maybe a cultural difference between like sure, marxists yeah. and anarchists and i think one of the things that would be quite good to do is maybe in this episode or in future episodes to try and like soften some of those hard edges that exist Mm. between uh marxists and anarchists because i think the the driving intent is the same but some of the kind of like the language it does stem from a different theoretical basis but some of the language is uh, can be quite divisive so if you if you read the article and it just says like replacing the police kind of thing (laughs) or fulfilling police function and it's just like well somebody's gonna have to like Arrest apprehend people, the or apprehend the murderers, like, or like, <laughs> or <laughs> or like, um, sort of intervene in, yeah. uh, sort of like domestic domestic efforts. abuse yeah. or sort of general domestic scenarios. Yeah. I don't even know necessarily what is meant by that. Um, <laughs> can seem quite alarmist, but I think mm. you can overlap these two ideas quite heavily mm. if you if you put the emphasis upon um, giving power to communities to yeah. exercise these functions themselves. Um, I've I have um, whilst we've been reading these various pieces, I've sort of been trying to articulate articulate to myself an idea, um, which whether there's two broad categories or trains of thought here, one which is building the new institutions of a new society, mm. and one is building institutions to uh, sort of like both fight back against the repressive activities of this society but also sort of soften some of the edges of the sort of the the repressive function of institutions under capitalism kind of thing now obviously like if you're building institutions under capitalism they're necessarily sort of like prefigurative perhaps of things to come Mm. um but i i also feel like there are things which uh there are functions which um Basically, if, if, if I think it, I think it does come to we get a bit abstract here, Matt, maybe, but I think it does come down to a distinction between like um, anarchist emphasis and communist emphasis, perhaps, in the sense of like presuming a certain degree of natural spontaneity of people, and we'll just like give them capacity to fill fulfill what is a sort of inherent uh, libertarianness mm-hmm. desire for freedom that's sort of instilled within them, rather than like feeling the need to build transitional institutions um, to 
plan for a much more protracted, I suppose, transition to um, post-capitalist communist society. Yeah. I don't know. I'm almost, I don't know where that leads us. Leads us really. I don't know. I'm almost more uncomfortable with the idea of like trying to, f- trying to. I don't know. Well, because I was what I was about to say is I'm almost more uncomfortable with the idea of trying to build these new world <laughs> orders. <laughs> <laughs> no, like these new. This is what's going to happen in the new socialist society, and these will be our structures. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, I don't know. Just using the Panthers as a model, it's like they were very simply just trying to, like, stop the cops from, in these early years, stop the cops from, like, harassing people in black communities, right? And, like, I don't know. If you do that and it is based within the working class or the working class, like, greater community, I think it will be prefigurative of a new society. And I think that, like... The two articles from The Weekly Worker, the other one being Rittenhouse and White Backlash, Daniel Lazar, um, were very concerned with, like, the Second Amendment and about, like, the Boogaloo Boys and fucking Kyle Rittenhouse and all that bullshit. And it's like, socialists kind of have this dissonance that forms in their brain when talking about guns and militias, because the only real militias that we see are, like, just the biggest chuds on the planet, right? But it's like, I don't know. All that stuff is so, like, the Boogaloo Boys and the Rittenhouses of the world are so, like, either petite, petty bourgeoisie or, like, as is said in one of those articles, like, they aspire to have those values that, like, that's the reason those aren't, like, prefigured of a new society. That's based on just the entirely wrong class, so it can really only ever be reactionary. But, like, when you have something like the Panthers, when you're trying to help your community and it's based in the working class... It seems like it's just going to naturally be prefigured of a new society. And it almost seems like that's more helpful to try and do than to engineer something that could maybe work. But then again, like, I don't know, that's what Lenin did. So, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I suppose it's worth just pointing out that those two articles from The Weekly Worker were written in the aftermath of Carl Rittenhouse's acquittal. Um, So that's sort of why they're focused on that. But at the same time... um, It is perhaps too narrow a focus, I suppose. Well, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to hassle the authors, no, no, no. but it's like you can, when you want to talk about militias, especially in America, you just wind up talking about the Eamon Bundys and the Boogaloo Boyses yeah. and the, the right wingers of the world because that's the only thing that exists, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other stuff is inherently just like try hard because it's like, you know, the like 17 year old from your hometown is like, have you heard about the Red Guards? We're setting something up like that. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I um I whether it's like my Britishness <laughs> or my lingering underlying like liberalness. <laughs> um I I from a from a optical standpoint, meaning how I receive it rather than like talking to like generalized uh, optics. I don't know. That's not what I mean to say, but like from a kind of reading the scene. <laughs> response i suppose um i haven't really yet seen an instantiation of sort of like a a left-wing analog to the activity of right-wing militias which reads as inherently different i suppose or um i don't know maybe this is too soon to get into this discussion because it's going to degenerate or devolve <laughs> i think because it's basically just about how it looks yeah like being looking the most tactical you know or like yeah having all the gear or like yeah um, but then this is me as an outsider who's like never had any experience of firearms or guns or uh any of that kind of training or i don't have to live around yeah uh guns i don't have to live around police that carry guns for the most part yeah so I, I like I'm totally an outsider to it, um, but it, but it's kind of what you were saying about like if you confront these people in any way, they're just shown to be the babies that they are, and it's like that didn't happen with the Panthers because like they had something to, they had like a class interest that this was based in, and of course like these other people, the chuds of the world, have their class interests, but it's based in what. In being fucking, you know, owning the tire shop down the street or like it's petty bourgeois shit. So it's like it isn't really like 
I'm going to come out here and I'm going to die for this because it's the most important thing to me in the world and I want to protect my family from getting beaten up by cops. You know what they say in the articles that, like, the cops were, like, giving water to Kyle Rittenhouse and telling him, like, hey, buddy, look at you, you know, ruffling his little hair and stuff, like. Yeah, I mean, the the core distinction between, like, left-wingers as guns and right-wingers with guns <laughs> is that right-wingers with, ring, right-wingers <laughs> with guns function as an auxiliary to the police. Yeah. They exactly. sort of f- f- they fill in gray areas, kind of thing. They they work in conjunction with the police. The police quite often turn a blind eye to their activities, whereas like the a sort of like a, a left wing analog isn't really an analog to the right because they just mm-hmm. don't have that same relationship. They don't stand in relationship to the state in the same way. Yeah, they don't have that contradiction. Yeah, that fundamental contradiction of like wanting liberty but then also, like, relying on the state to protect private property, which is what all these assholes do, right? Mm-hmm. You can't get out there and be like, uh, I'm out here to protect my rights from the state and then also receive support from the cops. It's like, <laughs> it's just such an obvious contradiction that it's just maddening. And, you know, that's probably why, like, if you confront any of these people, they'll just melt, you know, so it's all fucked up. Um, if you're talking about the Second Amendment, because it's interesting, that discussion, and it's not something I've ever thought about since I had lib brain and I was like, it's dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, those 27 words, the 27 words you need to say um, to get someone to fall in love with you is just recite the second amendment. So these two articles, the ones by Daniel Lazar and Paul DeMarty that you sent Dan were very like concerned with interpreting the uh, second amendment, which almost seems kind of silly because it's like, how can we interpret this, uh, you know, uh, bourgeois thing to make it socialist. And it's like, you don't have to, right? Like you don't have to yeah. do it at all. Although the first writer, Daniel Lazar was like, it's dominant leads to reactionary militias. And the second writer was like, I would happily have this in a socialist constitution. Um, I'm interested, Dan, as an Englishman, what do you think of the second amendment? I don't think I have a capacity to speak as an Englishman. It isn't also, um, I mean, as a yeah, as an outsider, um, it strikes one as very strange and alien. Both <laughs> its existence in the constitution, but also um, the way it is adhered to and fought for. Now, that that in some ways, that amendment to the constitution shouldn't be seen separate from the constitutional structure of the United States in general. Mm. Like the degree of reverence for that document and the degree to which um, it is championed by both the right and the the liberal centre mm. um, as being sort of this foundational document that which cannot be... Uh, altered except for al- when it's altered. <laughs> altered except for when it's altered, indeed. Um, and it's funny that like... When we read um, Mike McNair's Revolutionary Strategy, and one of the things that impacted me, my at least my thinking and my language around um, communism and revolutionary politics is this idea of either being or being anti-constitutional. Um, and so in this context, I was thinking a lot around like the rights approach to the Second Amendment, to guns rather, is very much heavily tied to the Second Amendment because they have every interest in defending the Constitution, being constitutional. So like, lame. <laughs> um, and like I was, I would like I was watching like documentaries about militia, like just like <laughs> normal like mainstream media documentaries about militias, mm. and watching people like swear their oaths to protect the Constitution oh with their with their I don't know. Um, it's their pocket constitution. Yeah. <laughs> the one that they keep in their pocket. Yeah, yeah. Presumably there is more than the Second Amendment, but have they read it? Maybe I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and while, while at the same time being like, I hate the state. Let me pull out my pocket yeah, constitution. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that is that is the funny contradiction, isn't it? Like, it's, it's, I defend the constitution and the Second Amendment, but the Second Amendment, what's implicit in pe- those people's reading of the Second Amendment is, the state might turn on me and I might have to turn on the state at some point. And that's why I have to have guns. Um, <laughs> at the same time, I do sort of respect that impulse to some extent. Sure. And it's clearly very heavily written into American culture. That's sort of like suspicion of or planning for the possibility of tyranny around every corner, you know? Um <laughs> 
Um, I hate tyranny. And I do, I do, I have, I have been wondering, this is another um, poorly formed thought, I have sort of been wondering how much both that cultural suspicion around the prospect of tyranny and also the existence of um, the the language around guns and gun culture and the Second Amendment, whether it does lead American culture to be generally more open to the idea of the the possibility of resisting and um replacing state function with some other uh potentially democratic formations you know i don't know yeah. what I, all it is is i've been wondering whether it's an in, interesting cultural remnant or cultural a facet of american society which is it, so, i mean certainly it puts it puts um american leftists in a different position i mm-hmm. suppose yeah. Or leftist, you know what I mean? Like socialist and communist. It does. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you kind of have to be, like, if you want to be anti-constitutional, you kind of almost have to be for the Second Amendment in some way, right? I guess yes, you don't have yeah, to. But it's like... strange, isn't it? Like, I, I initially I was thinking, I mean, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this yet. Initially I was thinking, like, there is a worry about, I had a worry about left-wing advocates for gun rights and gun ownership becoming... um champions of the constitution mm. and drawing their uh, um, yeah. their sort of commitment to those ideas from uh, a commitment to the american constitution and i suppose we would hope that all left-wing radicals would want to look to be anti and anti-constitutional rather than mm-hmm. support the constitution of the country in which they live um I listened to, I mean, it's worth saying, I suppose, uh, the first time we came across this book was listening to the podcast, The Paul Proles Almanac, and mm. um, go back and uh, Andy and Elliot were very gracious to come on our show way, God way, way them. back, almost a year ago, and we had a nice chat with them, so go back and listen to that. Back when we were a small podcast. Yeah, and they, they <laughs> have an interview on their podcast feed um, with, they, they have spoken to Scott Crow, but they were speaking to someone else in this instance, Susan names hardly I can't remember but that guest made a really really interesting point that in their gun advocacy they really like to build a commitment to um, the protection of gun rights I suppose and a a commitment amongst uh, minority groups towards gun ownership and community self-defense they want to build that upon the particularly legacies of um those communities experience of living under state oppression so like Mm. the commitment of um, african americans to uh, owning guns to training with guns is not drawn from a their perceived constitutional right a constitution that's always overlooked them forsaken them whatever but more a tradition of black radicalism and slave revolt Mm. and um, all this kind of stuff so there is, it's possible to build a different tradition. And I don't want to suggest that people who are left wing advocates or anarchist advocates for gun ownership draw their inspiration from yeah. the Constitution. There are, I'm sure the vast majority don't. And actually, it would preclude one from being an anarchist if one did. Yeah. Um, but there are other sources of inspiration and. Uh, building a tradition yeah it's class struggle like that tradition already exists it's called Mm. socialism and it's like you can't obviously like i was almost a little uncomfortable with some of the stuff in the articles because it was like why the fuck are we spending so much time talking about this amendment to the bourgeois constitution it's like okay great we could have this in a socialist constitution these same words i guess but like we don't draw our like power and our moral right from the state <laughs> and you know like the bill of rights wasn't even gonna be included in the constitution you know what i mean like yeah i don't know it's insane mm-hmm. it did however make me think that like so initially i was like okay reject the constitution don't make any reference to bourgeois rights constitutional mm-hmm. right the second amendment like think about these things in other terms but then i was thinking about well the context in which the present class struggle the struggle for socialism communism is fought is within the bourgeois state Mm. and sometimes one does have to look at the rights afforded us 
under a bourgeois constitution and be like, okay, how do we use and exercise these rights? How even in some respects do we further those rights that might advantageous in the future? Um, advantages <laughs> that might be advantageous. Um, I mean, it's a, it's um, maybe a tired reference and a very very old one, but I because I've been sort of like reading a little about a little bit about like. Um, early 19th century socialism, early 20th century socialism, and particularly Lenin, and Lenin's sort of champ, uh, fixing the focus of Russian social democracy on the gaining of bourgeois democratic rights mm. because it was tactically um, advantageous to the development, or perceived to be tactically advantageous to the development of that movement. So whilst I think I still stick to my initial, like, be anti-constitutional, being minded toward the constitution and the yeah. laws of the state in which we live and what that affords you tactically and strategically and makes you able to do um, is certainly part of this equation that shouldn't be overlooked, I suppose. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I really buy the like the type of thinking that's like at least in this regard, like look to the allowances that the state allows you and like building off of those because like first of all, like what allowances were made after the Black Panthers started open carrying regularly in California? Just open the carry, law. the law was just changed, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's like the Second Amendment, while it was like uh, an allowance made for like the teething masses and the Bill of Rights as a general, it's like, okay, give them something. They're allowed to speak and have guns and not have, you know, redcoats come and stay in their houses or whatever. Like, it's never really been something that's worked continuously in our favor um and while yeah it's cool i guess that you're a leftist and you can go get a gun just like some asshole can like i don't know it hasn't really advantage advantaged been advantageous for the left in any large way i suppose like it was for the panthers at the beginning but it's like okay as soon as it starts being good then it'll just get taken away so it's like you know the focus, I, I guess, then, at least for me and my frame of thinking now, needs to be less on, like, trying to build off of build off of our power and taking it from the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or whatever, and more so, like, looking to kind of do what they did in the 60s, which was, you know, build your community. And in so doing, you're building class power. And, like, yeah, okay, you do it too much and the same thing's going to happen. They just change the law. But, like, at the same time... It wasn't necessarily like, well, I don't know. I was going to say that it wasn't the Second Amendment that, like, allowed them to kick cops out. But I guess to a certain extent it was. They could have showed up with, like, <laughs> I don't know, other weapons, but that wouldn't have really intimidated cops in the same way. I guess all I'm trying to say is that, like, the Second Amendment, by its nature, doesn't necessarily afford the left much. Because if it was ever to get to the point where it's like, okay, a militia or whatever of the left has gotten to the point where it can challenge parts of the state eh, the lesser is going to get changed you know what i mean so like yeah it's cool and it's like neat that you have like access to this in the same way that some chud does but like you're never going to get the same support like you know it just practically you can't draw your support from this bourgeois document because like you know the right can because they actually have the support of the state, whether they like, you know, whether they like it or not, they do. Like the cops are going to give them high fives and give them beers and be like, hey, thanks for coming out. Thanks, Kyle, you 17 year old who just shot and murdered several people. Like that ain't ever going to happen for the left. And so power needs to be drawn from in other places. And and so doing it needs to be built in other places. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Second Amendment, kind of really fucking care. <laughs> it's kind of where I come down on it. What are you going to do? Bourgeois thing is bourgeois. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. How yeah. insane was the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, though? I didn't realize that he was seventeen when that happened. That's just like Jesus Christ. Mm. Just, just talk about just ruined. Like I'm not gonna like give any sympathy to the guy, but talk about just ruining someone's life with fucking brain rot. Jesus. Yeah, brutal. Um, at least now he's getting paid to speak at like CPAC or some bullshit. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. I think I'd like to talk a little bit, Dan, if we could, about the kind of like uh, two different ideologies that we pulled from in uh, reading for this episode. One which was like the anarchist, like, you know, whatever, dude, like, you know, 
gun con- what is it he said gun control means hitting your target thing and then the like more mle more like kautsky and you know kind of like uh stuff that you find in the weekly worker um and I'd like to go back to what you said about like kind of rounding some of those edges between anarchism and Marxism, right? Or whatever. Um, still would like to figure out what anarchism actually is. We get the feeling a lot of anarchism isn't actually anarchism. However, having said that, um, I think one of the reasons I was drawn to looking at an anarchist text to talk about militias and the guns and the, all of this stuff uh, isn't because I'm some wacky anarchist, um, but like the way that they our comrades, talk about this stuff is uh, refreshing in a way. And, you know, you always hear the, like, shade that gets thrown at anarchists that's like, you know, uh, communists build socialism in one country and the anarchists build uh, anarchism in one neighborhood. But it's like, I don't know, like, I think if you're, like, even trying to pull from, say, like, an entirely McNairist view of what needs to be done, like, you can pull a lot from, like, the, the anarchist way of thinking that we read from, which is, like, you know, it's also a strategy of patience to, like, build up local power into just, like, somehow just, like, replacing these apparatuses of the state. And in so doing, like, that is a strategy of patience, right? It's just, like, you're just doing it within your community. So, I don't know. As much as the kind of, like, anarchist, modern anarchist, like aesthetic <laughs> is not one that I really appreciate too much. Like it's refreshing. It can be very refreshing to talk about like community building and stuff because like, yeah, I don't know. Eh, what else are you going to do? Press the button that's working class party. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. Yeah. I think um, the tactic of community self-defense broadly defined in this setting sites book is one that I find quite agreeable. Yeah. Um, the Although there, it's reflected in different ways with different emphases, the general principle of um, empowering community groups, whether they are um, uh, groups of uh, oppressed minorities in one way or other, or groups of workers, say, in the context of... Um, workers being repressed by i don't know scabs and strike breakers or whatever yeah. i don't know just to broaden the context a little bit mm, sure. um the the exercise of, of empowering people through a capacity to collectively organize one's defense particularly in contexts where if you outsource the protection to some other body it's just going to be absent and basically what you're doing is acquiescing to um brutal repression basically yeah um as a as a sort of like very bare bones necessity uh it's um incredibly laudable and should be reproduced and replicated in in, in as many ways as is practicable yeah. i guess and even in this country where there aren't um we don't you don't have the same rights to um own guns for example like um developing similar tactics similar i'm sure it's been done although i'm uh, ignorant of it (laughs) um developing at least similar tactics of um not calling the police trying to develop other ways of um just sort of settling problems in the community um diffusing uh potentially violent situations through um compromise i guess yeah yeah um that i guess there is an analogous strategy that could be used in the uk and other countries that don't have the same access to guns and one of the things that necessitates this kind of community self-defense in this form is the very fact that the police and um the police's and the army's auxiliary Mm. the militias are so well armed and so brazen with their um use of violence and so emboldened um, in the current climate, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and one of one of the things that you you when you were just speaking there, one of the things that really helped me clarify this thing that I was sort of groping after as to whether the the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms in the, in America sort of like creates some kind of potential. Um, putting people in the position where they may well have to take up their own defense um is 
a very, it's a very radical thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not only is it incredibly empowering and is it something which serves to uh, make people think about um, fulfilling and replacing various state functions, it just makes one uh, aware of the repressive function fulfilled by the capitalist state uh, and makes one aware of the circumstances under which um, you may well find yourself not being afforded like liberal constitutional protections, I suppose. Um, And so in a lot of ways, it really does foster much more starkly this uh, notion of anti-constitutionalism and also the necessity to build uh, capacity and competencies, Mm. um, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, right? Because like the only reason it's radical to take self-defense into your own hands is because that's, self-defense is just another thing that's been commodified and alienated away from you, right? It's like, in reality, who would you rather call if you have a problem? Like, your friend who lives down the street and, like, your family or like and, like, and the people that you know? Or a cop who lives 40 miles away and is just going to show up and just be like, I'm done with this, someone's getting shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And And to kind of go back to what we were saying about, like, well, I don't know, like, even maybe the point of all of this is, like, when we're building these institutions that maybe maybe smack a little bit of socialism under capitalism, and maybe they are kind of something that could prefigure what life would be like uh, and under under a different mode, under a more just mode, like, it, it's pretty, I don't know, it's important to constantly be trying to do that, because, like, sooner or later, cops are going to blink, right? And it seems kind of impossible to imagine that now because, like, cops and their auxiliaries just get, like, money stuffed in their faces and they get drones and tanks and all of this shit. But, like, one can imagine a point in the future uh, where the state stops being able to act domestically as it currently does. And it would be nice when that happens for there to be something that prefigures socialism a little bit uh, and organizational structures that are more just. And, you know... Whatever that's going to be, that's going to be. But one can imagine under socialism and under communism, that would be something resembling universal conscription, which is a more intense way of saying the community can sort it out. You know what I mean? It's like, is it is it universal conscription when everybody knows the, like, Panthers who are, like, wandering around trying to help people? Is it universal conscription when, like, you just call the schmuck who lives down the street because you're, like, having an issue? Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I suppose all I'm just trying to say is that, like, uh, important to try and be moving things forward. Um, And one can imagine a world in which uh, organizational structures that we build today, maybe they can be used tomorrow. You know what I mean? So we'll see. I don't know. One of the things that I was thinking of drawing us back to a little bit, maybe to round it out, is to go back to the Black Panthers because... um, the narrative of the essay around the Black Panthers covers this process of this split and uh, the formation of a more quote unquote reformist wing and a wing that moved much more, went much more underground mm. um, and orientated itself much more towards um, armed resistance, um, developed much more toward an insurrectionary movement. Um, and sort of hoped to um, overthrow and challenge the state by um, out-and-out armed conflict, I suppose. Um, and one of the things it reminds... Like, the author of the text is very much intending to um, celebrate that tradition, I suppose. Draw a continuity across this break where um, use of arms and... Um, forcible resistance against the police and against the state is something that's written into the DNA of the Black Panthers and the broader um, uh, movement that they're it's a part of, I suppose. Um, but when I was reading through it, all I could help think of was like um, almost like propaganda of the deed style, late 19th century anarchism, sort of yeah. trying to kill the czar in the hope that the, the peasants would... Um, suddenly awaken with renewed consciousness kind of thing um and the way that it's described in this piece is that um one of the reasons i'm sure amongst many why like the split happened 
and why um, Huey Newton, the leader of the Black Panther Party, sort of sided in the way that he did was that he had this general suspicion against simply making it a um, military movement mm. and not doing what we were saying before, sort of embedding it as part of a broader social movement. Um, and so I think it's a good um, cautionary tale, I suppose, as to what happens if one uh, celebrates the the armed military, not the military, the sort mm. of armed aspect of this struggle without sort of embedding it in a social movement. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like, and two, it's at the end of the essay, the author says that, uh, he, the last paragraph is just certainly the role of the underground in the armed struggle was a critical issue in the 1971 split, but perhaps the most important issue was not whether the party emphasized reform or a radical agenda, but rather its inability to maintain its organizational unity and cohesiveness in the face of repression. And what you're just saying is making me think that, like, it is a lot easier to maintain that unity and, like, it makes it harder for repression to just come in and crush you if you embed yourself in the community. And if you make yourself part of the community, and if you are doing things other than just like, we're going to get out there, man, we're going to kick some ass, we're going to, you know, there's a lot of Maoist language about like the protracted people's war in the United States and stuff. And it's like, hey, that's pretty cool. I'll be the first guy to say that that's pretty cool stuff, but also like for thinking long term about what we can actually do. And I'm not saying this to necessarily like praise, you know, the split or praise like whatever Huey Newton was up to or anything, but like... It's it's easier to maintain unity and to maintain your organization and to fight back against repression, kind of like without having to fight back against repression. Like if you're trying to meet the state with like guns, they're gonna come out in tanks, right? And this is like another contradiction that the libertarians will just never fucking learn. It's a lesson they'll never learn. But like, I don't know. If you're trying to win the war without like actually kind of like I don't know fighting the war. I don't know. Maybe like. At a certain point, you're going to have to fight the war and you're going to have to put your foot down because nobody likes having the boot on their neck. But at the same time, like, what have we said before? How do you help the working class? It's by helping the working class. You know what I mean? It isn't necessarily trying to go out there and do minority action, like, against the state. Because, you know, to put it in a phrase that our friend Hal Draper might say, that kind of is socialism from above. Even if you're coming from this angle of, like, what was his name Geronimo G. Jaga like that's pretty cool man that is pretty cool but also like what's the end game you know what I mean it's like what's the per like what state would you wind up creating even if you could take power you know what I mean so I don't know hey maybe there's something ML's can learn from that too but also like yeah maybe just everybody be nice to each other that's what I want to say <laughs> <laughs> there's a really nice quote in one of the other pieces it's called the piece is called um desire armed it's just a mm. couple of pages um and it's broadly just speaking to this point right it shouldn't your your uh, the armed militant portion of your movement should be thoroughly embedded in your social movement it shouldn't be something that stands outside of it and the really nice quote was that the aim is not to create an armed revolutionary movement it's to arm the pre-existing social revolutionary movement mm. um which i thought was quite poignant and uh, is, yeah sort of like Struck a chord with me. I suppose. 100%. Yeah. I think that, like, if you and I, Dan, were to move to the United States and buy a bunch of guns and tell people to join the Jack and Dan Red Guard, nothing would happen because people would be like, that's extremely cringe and get away from us, you weirdos. But also, like, even if something did happen, you wouldn't want it to happen because that's not the route that you want to go down. Like, when McNair talks about the party structure as prefiguring the state structure and prefiguring what type of state you're going to have, you know, that's a lesson we need to learn from that. Like, yeah, radical democracy, allowing, uh, you know, factions to form, but also, like, just <laughs> just help people. Like, Jesus Christ, like, you need to lessen the burden on the working class for the working class to, like, do anything, right? So, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like one of the present functions of the sort of, like, um, gro growing trend toward a... Uh, armed portion of the american left is that it fulfills a very important function of um protecting social movements against the police and against the right particularly in the context of like um holding demonstrations and being there to provide security mm. when security can't be assured 
by the police. I mean, it's also we wouldn't really want the security to be afforded by the police. But when the police can't be trusted to properly defend your demonstration against the right, you might need to have somebody else there. Mm. Um, But from the outside, to me, it kind of looks like there's a group of armed people coming in to fulfill a very specific function and then stepping away again. Now, I know those people are also... In, a broad, in the broader social movement, but um, I'm sort of wondering to what extent that is, how you extend that to be uh, what we've been describing as a mm. kind of like thoroughly embedding um, community defense within the communities themselves that need defending rather than defending them from the outside. Um, but there are a great many people in the States doing that by mm. training people and... Yeah. Um, so the work is being done, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting level of training, too, just in terms of, like, class struggle. You know, it's like what you were saying about arming the movement that already exists. It's like, yeah, if you're going to go have some sort of show of force or, like, a protest or something or, you know, a strike and you don't want people to just show up and kick your ass, like, train those people. Because, like, that is, I don't know. Things, if, if the movement grows, rubber's going to hit the road at some point, and that's, like, a good way of training people. I read a very, very funny letter that Lenin sent not too long ago, and he was talking about, like, it was in, like, between 1905 and 1917, and he was just, like, we need to just get people out there kicking, like, the ass of, like, the pogromists and, like, you know, the Black Hundreds or whatever. He's, like, it's really great for training people for a class struggle. Just go kill some Black Hundreds. It's, like, oh, my God, Lenin, Jesus Christ. Like, chill out, dude. Maybe I take a step back from that, but mm-hmm. it's also, like, yeah, the class struggle will quite literally be a struggle sometimes, and it's good to train it in uh, the concrete ways that currently exist and to not just, you know, be told to fuck off by the cops. Yeah. Support the working class in their fighting of the class struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are the working class, so like, yeah. I don't know. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you're telling me is to go punch my boss in the face when I show up to work tomorrow. All right, Dan, I see. Right. I suppose that would probably constitute the class struggle. <laughs> yeah. uh. like, why did he do that? They're like, he's a communist. <laughs> yeah. I knew it all along. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think this week was a bit... Um, slapped together as Din and I are recovering from our vacation in Barbados. But um, it's good to read some kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to make this sound like a marketplace of ideas kind of thing, but it's like, it was interesting to read some anarchist stuff and some anarchist takes on all of this stuff and to then contrast that with some kind of like markowski stuff, more ml kind of stuff. Um, because yeah, I, I like I like what you were saying about kind of like softening the edges. You don't need to go full anarchist. You don't need to go full this, full that. But like, hey, as the dialectic unfolds, as they say, like you'll see that you know there's some crossover, and that like I don't know, it's all the same struggle. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, no, just gotta just get out there and help people. I guess is what you're supposed to do. I know I've said it a million times, but it's like you can go wrong trying to set up some sort of red guard faction. You can go wrong probably trying to do some sort of like hardcore revisionist stuff or whatever with a party but like you can never really go wrong just helping people so like you're furthering the class struggle by i don't know being nice (laughs) i know that that's like an insane thing to say but like you know there i don't know i don't know how much of like an overarching like world domination for socialism plan there was when huey newton and the lads got together and were like this cop's an asshole they imported him from the deep south let's tell him not to come back you know what i mean so I guess that was not being very nice because they're like, we'll kill you if you come back to our neighborhood. But it was helping but, people. But it was helping people, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Help people mm. and try to be nice yeah. if you can manage it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that is going to involve I'm talking sure, I'm to sure, people. I'm sure Hugh Newton was incredibly nice <laughs> yeah. when he told that cop to fuck off. Yeah. Don't ever come back here. I was reading some uh, Mike Davis thing not too long ago, and he was talking about how, like, you know, we always talk about, like, cops don't live in the neighborhoods that they patrol. But, like, he was talking about how the LAPD just imported, like, dudes from the South. Like, you know, they'd be like, okay, let's get the most, like, insane white supremacist, uh, you know, uh, mil- like, oh, I'm saying military chief, but, like, cop chief or whatever to come out here, run things, and he'll bring a bunch of his boys over. And it's just like, man, it's just, it's just a whole nother level. It's just fucking insane. Um, yeah. 
cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I was saying before that like the right wing militias are the auxiliary of the police, but yeah. in a lot of instances, they are the police. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah whether they're like imported racist cops from somewhere else, or whether they're, I don't know, the the cops and members yeah. of the military that were also like storming the Capitol building a year ago oh and a bit. God, yeah. Oh yeah, we missed the anniversary. Yeah, I was happy, kind of hoping that would fall January on the day 6th. we recorded. <laughs> yeah. Happy January 6th. I texted my brother, I was like, it's January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, 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 dear. Maybe we should have talked about that in this episode. I mean, yeah. I think we're kind of winding down, but just like the idea of how do we stand on January 6th, I kind of feel the exact same way that I feel about the... Uh, Second Amendment, you know what I mean? It's like aesthetically maybe cool, although I really am hesitant to call what happened on January 6th (laughs) like aesthetically cool in any way because it's the biggest assholes on the planet. Idea of it cool, bourgeois implementation of it ruins everything. Yeah, I think I had some sort of like pretty half-baked takes a year ago (laughs) and I'm not sure I've come up with any more thoroughly cooked ones now. Um, it was just a very dumb thing. Yeah. I think that's, we don't need to have any more opinions or takes. Very dumb <laughs> it's thing. Very, dumb. very, very dumb. I guess I have now, a year on, a much better understanding of the ideas that swirl around how close we were to some kind of quote-unquote coup. He's going to coup. And what the plan oh was and how Mike Pence failed the <laughs> failed Trump, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but that that doesn't seem any less mad mm. or uh, I don't know, just mm. like it was a it was a crazy thing. It was it, it was, was a just, crazy thing that happened. It was just very odd. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. we can just leave it at that. Yeah, very odd thing. You know what I've learned, Dan? Don't need to have a take on everything. Yeah. That like that like weird <laughs> thing that happened. It was weird. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I kind of I don't know. Yeah. I feel like all too often... Um, this is why this isn't a current offense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd just be like, yeah, dumb. <laughs> I feel like all too often commies and like leftists will maybe try to explain things in bourgeois terms. And it's like, you are allowed <laughs> to have like the same... To say the same thing over and over. You know, you and I were joking last night about like, but did Kyle Rittenhouse consider the dichotomy between exchange value and use value? <laughs> but it's like, ah, I don't know. Like, you're allowed to just say, like, it's all fucking dumb. I have the same critique of everything. Yeah. Yeah, we have one critique yeah. when it comes to theoretical questions. And when it comes to questions of current events, I think my party line is it's too soon to tell. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Like, Too yeah. soon to tell about January yeah. 6th. We shall see. Yeah, ask me in 400 years <laughs> where we were on January 6th when it came to the degeneration and collapse of American empire. Like, it would be so funny if like the historical line that historians run with is just like, it was weird. Was <laughs> very weird. No one has an explanation. Very strange. It was a very strange time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think it was Wall Street Journal or Washington Post or somebody ran an op-ed that was like, is it Hillary's time to run again? And it's like, Give me Hillary and Trump. Just give it to me. Put it into my <laughs> veins. Give me the rematch. I'm like so on board. We'll see. And Trump's like the like, you know, middle of the ground. Like, yeah. Well, vaccines, they're kind of cool. <laughs> Have you seen what they do? <laughs> oh, it's all so dumb. It's all so dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is definitely a reveling in it yeah. podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Just, like, just embrace the joy. Because yeah. like, what, what else have you got? I know. There was an article in the Weekly Worker a while ago on vaccines. You can never be mad or bemused. Yeah, it? yeah, literally. Exactly. If you have the same critique, you have your framework, just roll with it. It's all the same <laughs> shit. But there's an article all about vaccines and like, where should we stand as leftists on vaccines? And the last line was just like, step away from the bourgeois antimonies. It's like, this isn't an either or thing. Yeah, pharmaceutical companies are insane. Fucking get the vaccine. Like, you don't need to have this, like, what about this? What about that? I have my opinion. It's like, fuck off. Just, you know, I don't know. It's all nuts. So what are you going to do? Yeah. There are contradictions, and some of them can't be resolved. Exactly. Has Pfizer considered use value? (laughs) Yes, probably a lot. Probably quite a bit, actually. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Okay. The great... uh, 21st century economic treaties published by <laughs> Pfizer. Yeah, exactly. They're like, the system works. 
Um, all right, Dan. Well, this was our first episode in uh, 2022. Happy 2022. Am uh, I... Welcome back to the listener. I know. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us in this new year. Am I incorrect in thinking that we started this in 2020? Yeah, shit, we That's did. insane. Yeah. We've been doing this for three years, <laughs> if my math is that correct. That is how it works. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday. Yes. Happy third birthday to the show. Um, yeah. We'll be back uh, at some point in the future with something new. We'll be back on it. Uh, going for it if you thought we were gone sadly we're not and uh we'll be doing more cool stuff and developing some thoughts i guess so uh we'll leave it at that yeah thanks again to uh i know that like they didn't necessarily suggest it but setting sights as featured on poor pearl's almanac um cool and if you actually want to hear people talk about it and that they know what they're talking about go listen to their stuff yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely all right. Well, uh, we'll be back at some point in the future. And uh, I've had a blast, Dan. I'm glad we're back doing it. Thank you also to you, Jack. It's been great. Yeah, happy 2022. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>music you heard this episode was music to kill bad people too by king gizzard and the lizard wizard if you like this song you can check it out and much much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com be sure and follow us up on instagram twitter and facebook and if you like what you heard be sure and tune in next week for some more commie discussion till next time Whoa.